Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Right now we're part three on Finishing Strong. And our text has been 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Paul says, remember that in a race, everybody runs, but only one gets the prize. You must run in such a way you will win. He's talking to a believer, run to win. Whatever God's called you to do, you do it to win. Be ambitious, be, be, uh, be competitive in your spirit. The only thing God condemns is selfish ambition. If you don't have any ambition, you'll die in a mud puddle. You'll die right where you were dropped. That's it. So this is a godly, good virtue that rarely is, is overlooked in the church. Some people think, well, it's bad to be ambitious. No, it isn't. It's weird not to be ambitious, to want to improve, to want to do better. Don't you? Yeah, I'd like to go higher. If, that, if the Lord permits, and I'm willing to pay the price. So Paul says, run in a way that you can win. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we believers do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So a quick review. How we finish is more important than how we start. It's possible to start well and finish poorly. It is also possible to start poorly, but to go the distance and finish strong. So you've got to begin now making plans to go the distance. A lot of God's children start well, but they don't finish well. And church history is full of men and women. You know, they, they love God, but they didn't finish well. They didn't finish the race. They started well, but they didn't go the distance. And nobody cares how you started. We all care about how you finish. I was thinking, I mean, we could pick a lot of the presidents, but I remember Nixon opened up uh, doors to different countries, set some good paces, and then all we remember is Watergate. Bad finish, right? Yeah. Yeah, get out. And you could go on and on with different leaders. So it's possible to do some good, start well, and then have a lousy finish and not even finish the race. We also said God's very interested in what you are doing, but he is more interested in what you are becoming. And we said, why? Because what you are becoming will determine how you finish the race. So why don't all believers finish well, go the distance? We said last week, because they don't survive the ambush, the traps. And we discussed three major traps that stop men and women from going the distance. They do. They've been used forever, and they still work well. Number one, the trap of immorality. Number two, we said the trap of money. And number three, the trap 
of a neglected family. Now, last week, we looked at that first one, the trap of immorality. This morning, we'll look at the other two traps, okay? So here we go, the trap of money. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, There was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. They brought part of the money from the sale to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. And he did it with his wife's consent. He kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept back some of the money for yourself. Now the property was yours, Ananias, to sell or not sell. You could do what you want with it. And after selling it, the money was all yours to give away or keep. So how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor dead. Everybody who heard about it was terrified. I mean, you think? (laughs) This is in church, folks. Then some of the young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him outside and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor dead. (laughs) This is not a good Sunday to visit church, is it? (laughs) And when the young men came in and saw she was dead, they wrapped her in a sheet, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear gripped the entire church, (laughs) oh yeah, and everybody else who heard what had happened. Every now and then, some preachers will say, we need to go back to the book of Acts. And the church will shout, amen, brother. But if we go back, we'll have to accept all the book of Acts. If we return to the book of Acts, a lot of the church parking lots are going to be turned into cemetery plots. (laughs) Why? Because of the ambush of money, and it's still with us today and even in the church. So with so much that was happening in Jerusalem at this time, I wonder why God included this story in the book of Acts. Well, first of all, these two people were lying to God and to the people around them. And this story highlights how serious this business of resources happens to be to God. These people obviously loved money. And when Paul wrote Timothy, I think in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says the love of money is the root of all evil. It does not say money is the root of all evil. Money doesn't make you bad. Money allows you to be who you are. Some people are too poor to be bad. Yeah, money gives you options. So money, if I pick up, if a drug deal went down an hour ago and somebody dropped a $100 bill and I pick it up, I am not picking up drug money. That's my money. And I won't become a drug dealer because that money is gonna manifest my character, my heart, my spirit, period. Money has no morality. It's just neutral. It just manifests who you are. 
So it's loving it. You can be on welfare and love money. It's not rich people problem. It's everybody problem. See, the love of it. So if Ananias and Sapphira had such a love for money, why did they give any money to the church in the first place? Well, the answer to that question is found in Acts chapter 4. Verse 34, there were no needy people in the church because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles named, nicknamed Barnabas. He was from the tribe of Levi. He came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So apparently what Barnabas had done, selling his land, giving all the money to the church, must have been quite significant, and the church must have responded in an amazing way when they saw him do it. So out in the congregation were sitting Ananias and Sapphira, who saw all the honor and joy bestowed on Ananias, and they see the response of the people towards Barnabas and his generosity. So they go out and sell another piece of land they had, but they got such a good price, they decide to keep part of the money back while appearing to give it all to the church. Notice the problem wasn't what you kept. The problem was they wanted the church and the apostles to think that was the full amount. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Some of you would be afraid to sell something and give a little bit to the church. No, he's just saying they wanted, they wanted applause and honor and recognition when they didn't do what Barnabas did. They secretly kept back the money and wanted the people to think I was generous. So two things come to mind. First of all, they were more interested in looking good than in doing good. Don't let that get you, okay? Secondly, you don't think this was the first time this couple ever loud about, uh, you know, uh, lied about anything related to money, do you? Not a chance. It just happened. I'll bet you that if we could look into their life, this is a continuing story. And without a doubt, we would see a pattern of lying and dishonesty in regard to finance. This was simply the culmination of that pattern. So let's ask a question. <clears throat> How are you doing with your money? Have you misled somebody in order to profit financially? Are you falsifying loan applications or tax returns? Well, if you are, the enemy is setting you up. And I don't care what you stand to gain by doing it. It won't be worth it. Not if you want to finish well and go the distance. For example, how many city officials just in San Antonio have gone to jail, lost their jobs, brought shame to their families, and to public trust over money, bribes, payoffs, kickbacks. We've had Congress in that abscam uh, problem where they were offered uh, millions of dollars, then filmed secretly. Then there were payoffs for military contracts, national ministries disgraced by the trap and allurement of loving money. Money is to use. Don't let it use you. Don't let it have control. I tell it where it's going to go. And if Cindy and I are in a debate on a pledge to something we're doing for a church or a project, we made a rule a long time ago. Which one of us had the higher amount? That's what we go with in order to say to the devil, the heck with you, okay? <laughs> That's the PG version, okay? Okay. But the idea is if we've got two different amount, we're going with the higher one. 
just to defeat the enemy. So this money, loving money can be a trap. It's a big bear trap that could ruin your life. It might start off small. It might look insignificant, but mark my words, it will grow. And in time, you'll do what you would have thought unimaginable. The guys that have been arrested, attorneys in our city, government officials, never thought they would ever be in that position. But that little bit of power, money, and fame can do weird things to you if you're not grounded. So you've got to know this before you win the lotto, before you get the big pay raise, before you get a big company. If you're a believer, you tithe 10% off the top. God says it's a test, and God promises the only place I know, he says, I promise you, you won't go poor. I like that, okay? Two beings who always know what you are doing, God and the devil, always. And the devil will work with you for years in order to destroy you at an appropriate time. And he will wait while it gets so bad for you, your family, and others, and draw others into it as well so that when he gets you exposed, he takes down a lot of people. Would you agree that Ananias and Sapphira, by the way, how do congressmen making a regular salary become millionaires when they go to Washington? Well, I'll let you answer that. Yeah, it's... It's, uh, it's real sad. Would you agree Ananias and Sapphira were taken out early? They didn't go the distance. They didn't finish well. Yeah. Now they could have, but they didn't. And now they're gone. So get honest with God and with yourself and with others about money. And if you owe it, you pay it. Determined to be truthful in your financial dealings with people. Don't fall into the trap of money. Remember, God is my source. But when I lie or cheat in regard to money, I'm saying God isn't big enough to take care of me. So now I have to cheat others and cheat God in order to take care of myself. What an insult to Almighty God. So how dare we try to lead people in leadership or speak as a leader to Christians, telling them to trust God when they steal from him themselves? See, until God gets my money, he doesn't get my heart. Well, I just love our church. Really? Let me see your checkbook. Let's see, if, what, let's see if you give it all. See? For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So I'm going to tell my heart where it's going to go. Yeah. I got a wife. I have some children. And guess what? I have a lot of treasure in them. So my heart's going to go there. If you got a mistress on the side and you're financing her condo and her lifestyle over here, guess where your heart's going to go? It's going to go where your money goes. So that's true about God. Now, God said that, not a tele-evangelist. God said where your treasure goes, that's where your heart will go, period. So if you want to be close to God, you be sure your resources, your time, and your talent go into the kingdom of God decide now you're not going to let money trap you. See, either God is big enough to take care of me or he's not. We might as well just find out. You know, Henry Fielding was right when he said, if you make money your God, it will plague you like the devil. Yeah, don't let that happen. See, third, 
The neglect of family. The trap of neglected family. Here's the other one. Now, a lot of great people in the Bible accomplished great things for the Lord, but lost their family. For example, David's kingdom was shattered by his son, Absalom. His children were a mess. He was a courageous warrior. He was a lousy husband and a lousy father. Put these people where they belong. We admire his warrior spirit and leadership, but he was a lousy husband and a lousy father. Just because you're good in one area doesn't excuse you being sucking in another area, okay? His children were a mess. Solomon, his, David's son, repeated his father David's bad parenting, and his son, Rehoboam, split the kingdom of Israel. What a knucklehead, see? Eli, the high priest of Israel, was rejected by God for allowing his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to steal money and lay with the women who came to the tabernacle to worship. And God rejected Eli because he would not discipline his sons. He said he knew it, he had heard about it, but he wouldn't do anything. And I've watched national ministries collapse because there were people doing certain things that should have been addressed instantly, and they were never addressed, and it got worse and worse until it collapsed, and God just took his hand off of it. This discipline thing is a big deal, all right? It's discipline in the church, too. We'll call people out if they misbehave. Well, I'm leaving the church. Well, fine. Take your misbehavior to another church. You think that's going to be a blessing to another church? No. You should say, you're right, I'm wrong, pray for me, I'll try to do better. That's what you do. Lot's daughters got him drunk and slept with him, producing two children who became vicious enemies of Israel. You never hear about Lot again. He even lost his wife. His family was a wreck, and Lot finished poorly. So you don't have to read far in the Bible to see the devastating effects of a neglected family. And folks, God is serious about family. There are only two institutions God ever ordained, just two. One was the natural family in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And then the spiritual family through Jesus, the church, the community. It's called a family. We call out to Father God. It's a spiritual family. How many people do we know that are serious about the Lord but have seen their children walk away from God? And all of us have heard horror stories about preachers' kids. Now, I've got an opinion about this. I believe, not always, but it's often because these parents confused weird with spiritual. These children were not exposed to biblical Christianity and, as a result, rejected it. C.T. Studd is a highly revered name in Christian history. He was born into British royalty and wealth. He was one of the most famous cricket players in all of England, but he gave away his inheritance. He went to the mission field. He served in China a few years, then later in Africa, all by himself. C.T. Studd didn't see his wife for 17 years. That is not spiritual. That is weird and stupid, and it's not even biblical. And we hold them up as a hero. They are not a hero, right? 
Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. It says that the married apostles took their wives with them as they ministered. And Paul wrote, do we not have a right to take along a wife even as the priest uh, or the rest of the apostles do and the brothers of our Lord Jesus? Oh, and Peter. And if Peter was the first pope, he was married because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe you can have a mother-in-law if you're not married. This really isn't hard. So if the apostles took their wives and the brothers of Jesus Christ took their wives and Peter took his wife, how come old C.T. didn't take his wife? Was he more spiritual than the apostles? Did he have an edge on Peter? Should he be held up as a role model for the rest of us to emulate? Not a chance. It sounds like the ambush of neglected family. William Carey left England in 1973 uh, to go to India, 1873, to preach the gospel. He took his wife with him, Adoniram Judson, these names, went from America to Burma in 1814. He took his wife with him. Robert Morrison was the first Protestant missionary to go to China. He took his wife with him as well. All of them lost a family member on the mission field. But better to face adversity together as a family than to neglect one another through a distorted understanding of Christ's demands to our families. In in Genesis 2, God makes a woman from Adam's rib. Pause. God only has two genders. He made a male and he made a female. He does not have a third gender, Old or New Testament. I'll eat the page if you can find it. And so we follow the Bible. If you have a problem, it's not with me, it's with God. I didn't establish this. If I was writing the Bible, I'd say, well, a man can have 25 women. Oh, everybody goes quiet now. I would write a lot of stuff. My flesh would want to write, but I didn't. God did. So I pledge myself to do what he said. That's all I'm trying. Not trying to be ugly or mean. God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14. God does things decently and in order. Everything. When you're out of order in your home or your business or your life or your marriage, something is wrong. And the confusion we see in our culture today is because this is out of order. This is weird. It's unbiblical. And it wasn't the will of God. You make your own choice. So he made a woman and he made a man. And it says, verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, there's your family, and be joined to his wife and they become one flesh. So God established the family before he established anything else. And the family has to stay in a place of sanctity and honor. We lose everything. So we've got to fight to protect the family. If the family is neglected, it ruins life. It brings disorder, disharmony to all of your life. Malachi 4, if you're Italian, Malici. Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. 
and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Neglected family brings a curse. And a lot of people in here came from a broken family. I came from a broken family as well. Not one good thing about it. Nothing positive came out of it except the will to say, I don't want a family like that. I don't want to live like that. Now that's a good thing. And I hope that's what you say. If your father was abusive, don't you become abusive to your wife or your children. If your father cheated, did other things, was an alcoholic, you don't have to follow him. You have the power to choose. I didn't want to become like my father. I didn't want to have a home like he had. And I made decision when I was on my own, I'll live life by my judgment and by my choices, not by his. And then I blame my father or I was abused. So now I'm going to abuse others. Not I. You're not a victim. Now you're a volunteer. Okay. God doesn't say another word for 400 years after that. Then in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 13, John the Baptist comes on the scene as a forerunner to introduce Jesus. And he preached the message that would restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. And Jesus said that John the Baptist was that spirit of Elijah that he had promised. In our culture today, every expert says we are reaping the consequences of a fatherless generation. How many young boys and girls grow up today with no fathers to be seen? That's got to change. And by the way, if you get divorced and it happens, don't throw away your children. Dads, don't abandon your children. Let them know you love them, you produce them. God is serious about family. And there's so much that can come into our busy daily lives that can pull us away from our families. 1 Timothy chapter 5 makes a bold statement. It declares that a man who will not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. Wow. And that's not just related to providing financially, but emotionally and spiritually as well. If we don't, we're going to end up in a trap. And dad, you are the high priest of the home. You, le- you bring your family to church. Not mama, you bring them. You don't have to be a spiritual theologian. You're going to set the example that serving God, worshiping God is important. And we're going to church. How you feel, you bring them. And you're also a protector of your family. You are also a provider of your family. That's incumbent upon every man who decides to become a father. But if you fall into the trap, instead of going the distance and finishing well, We'll do well even to finish. So God is not in the business of asking us to consistently neglect our families in order to further his kingdom or our career. I don't have to sacrifice my family to serve God. You don't have to sacrifice your family to build houses or or to run a plumbing business or an electrician or whatever you may do, a, a, a civil servant or working for the government here. Does Christ give a man, a wife, and children, and then ask him to willfully neglect them. Well, that makes no sense at all. It's not consistent with the character of our God, and it's not consistent with the tender father heart of God who said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So about elders, he says in 1 Timothy 3, he must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him, 
For if a man cannot manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So if you fail to take care of your family, you're disqualified to take on leadership role in a church. And a lot of people will then say, well, yeah, they have severe family problems, but he or she is so gifted. Listen carefully. God's qualification in life is not giftedness. It's proven character. You're not somebody to look up to because you can dunk a basketball or throw a 60-yard pass on the fly. That's a gift. That's not character. You were born with that. You didn't do a blooming thing to get that. So it's not giftedness God uses as a qualifier. It's proven character. In fact, often the most gifted people are the laziest people and the least personally developed people because they're very gifted and it makes life easy for them. Things come easier to them than for people that don't have much gifting. See, gifted men and women often lag behind in character because of the very giftedness that they have. So Christians are commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't matter if you are an accountant or you're a truck driver or you're a computer programmer, whether you're a pastor, a doctor, an architect, if you have a family or if you don't, it is your job to be a witness, to fulfill the Great Commission, to be an ambassador for Jesus, whether you're trying to help somebody through a financial problem as a, as a CPA or you're advising somebody in health as, as a medical professional, whatever. See, the heart of the great mission to make disciples, that starts in our own home, with our own family. You don't have to sell your business, go to China to fulfill the great commission, but you do need to make sure you're getting home in time to hang out with wife and kids. See, it's not so much things my kids need as it is me. Make sure you get home in time for dinner, show up for some of your children's sporting events, Take your wife to a movie. If you don't have time to do any of that, you are weird. You are strange. And you are wrong. So we can be intimidated by stupid expectations from the church, and we can be intimidated by stupid expectations at our job. But life is too short. Those kids are going to be gone before you know it. I, I'm look, I see Randy and Sandy sitting here. I got on Jim in the other service. But I remember we all came together so many years ago, and our little kids were being born or were little toddlers, little bitty. And now they're grown and married, and now we're grandparents. And now, by God's grace, we'll see their children, our children. And I'm thinking, I don't feel that old. Where'd it go? Where did, all the, where did it go? I mean, the kids are only in the home, you know, maybe... Uh, as kids, not just the baby, but 14 years or so, and then they're gone and they make their own choices. So we have a short measure of time to have some impact. And I don't want to tell my children what to become or what to be, but I want to instill Christian values in them. I, that's my job. God's job is to call them to something. My job is to put values and discipline in my kids, and it's yours too. So, that's the only opportunity I have to mold and shape their lives and character. Otherwise, it's going to be gone forever. Don't let the enemy sucker you into working excessive hours to give your kids more stuff without you. See, the more time you can spend with them, the more they're going to want to be like you, 
and know the Heavenly Father who made you such a great mom or a great dad. Now, we all have a busy, stressful world that we live and work in, all of us. So we've all got to work at balancing the hours in a day. We all have 24 hours in a day. We need 65. So we got to make a commitment to do it or we're going to pay dearly for a neglected family and probably not go the distance or finish well. And if, if you don't want the responsibility to care for a family or your children, you should have kept your pants on, big boy. You sow, you reap. And if you decide you're going to have kids, then you now are obligated to be responsible for them. And if you don't want to be responsible for them, don't have them. And don't get married. See, there are all kinds of snares and traps out there that can kill a man or a woman's priorities and cause him to neglect his family. And for some, it's the ambush of immorality. For others, the ambush of money. And some go down because of the ambush of neglected family. I want you to bow your head with me just for a second. We're closing. What is it today that is most likely to trap you? The writer of Hebrews said, lay aside every weight that is a trap or encumbrance and the sin which so easily sidetracks us and let us run with endurance, patience, the race that's marked out before us. So this morning, maybe it's just a weight, but if you don't deal with it, it may turn into a sin and keep you from going the distance and finishing strong. Are you flirting with things that can lead to immorality? Do you have an inordinate affection towards money? Have you neglected to make your family a priority? Three things that are proven traps that will keep you from finishing strong. Maybe you started well, but you're trapped. Or you dropped out of the race, or maybe you've just given up. You can make a decision this morning that will put you back on track. You don't have to settle for failure or defeat or discouragement. You can begin again. You can repent. Change your mind. Change what you do. Change your priorities. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to receive the Lord Jesus and join the family of believers and enter the race of a lifetime. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life eternal and that you might live it abundantly. That's the purpose for which Christ died. And he wants you and me to become part of his family and live in eternity forever. So if you have ever been tempted in any of these areas and you want to renew your commitment this morning to finish strong, just raise your hand and let me pray. Nobody bother you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Maybe it's one of the three traps. Maybe it's accepting Jesus. But whatever it is, today you can change the future. You can't change the past, but you can still finish strong. Thank you to the grace of God for that. I'm going to pray a prayer to include all these areas. I'd like everybody to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God. Thank you, you were raised from the dead. You paid for my sin. Come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. 
Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive my sin and give me eternal life. Thank you, I have a hope and a future. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. Where I have been negligent, help me get back on track so I can finish strong. Deliver me from any trap, any addiction, any wrong belief that could take me out of the race. With your grace, with your mercy, and with your power, help me finish strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.